If you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 5. Before we review, uh, I'd like to tell... It's not a great story. I wish I had a great story. Uh, But it's a story that I hope will uh, help set kind of the tone for what we're talking about tonight. Uh, And it's a silly story uh, about my dad. Um, And my dad was always someone who, no matter what, wanted to make sure that my brother and I felt like we were getting an equal shake. And that's kind of hard to do uh, because my brother and I are pretty competitive with each other and we're only 19 months apart. And so uh, oftentimes I would get to a certain life stage just barely before he would. And so the minute I got to do something, you know, he felt that he was either close enough in age or, you know, had every uh, bit of development that I had. So he should be able to do uh, that same thing. And so my dad wanted me to to learn to mow the lawn, of course, like uh, all fathers should do, teach their son uh, to mow the lawn. And so I was probably eight or nine getting ready uh, to mow the lawn. My brother, six or seven, you know, felt he should be able to mow uh, the lawn as well. And so my dad, you know, hatched this plan that he was going to find something for my brother to mow. And so I can still remember this. He sat us both down and said, you know, there's a lot of mowing to do at this house. There's mowing on the outside, but there's also mowing on the inside. And he said, from now on, we're going to call the vacuum the mower. And at this point, you know, he's taking the cool out of it for both of us, right? Uh, Sitting us down and telling us that we're going to be mowing the outside and the inside. At this point, neither of us are motivated to do it. Um, But he's reframed this problem uh, by giving a different perspective about something Uh, that maybe we'd viewed a certain way before. And so literally until my brother could mow in the backyard like I would, he would literally say, one of you is going to mow the inside and one of you is going to mow the outside. Very silly, very weird. Uh, But at the same time, the way that we frame certain things makes all the difference in the world. And so tonight we're going to be talking about hope uh, and the way that hope frames uh, each of life's circumstances. But before we do that, we're going to review the previous four chapters of Romans just real quick. And these are the great summary statements that uh, Wes puts together. He does a really good job of taking something uh, really big and kind of hard to dive into and making it really simple uh, to digest. So we're going to read the four uh, summary statements so far uh, that he's created for Romans. And the first from Romans 1, God's righteousness is revealed in both his deliverance and his wrath. And we looked at uh, how a good and loving God uh, can still be a God who has wrath. And in fact, Wrath is a component of the love uh, that God has for us. From Romans 2, uh, because of God's righteousness, being Jewish will neither save you from the curse of sin nor earn you preferential treatment with God. And one of the themes that we've been looking at throughout Romans is this uh, blending of Jews and Greeks and how the Gentiles and the Jews are to coexist in this new church. Uh, And that's a theme in many of Paul's uh, writings. From chapter 3, God's righteousness is seen in his putting forth Jesus as a sin offering, setting us free from sin and setting us right with God. And we're going to be looking at this theme a little bit more uh, in Romans 5 tonight about how uh, being set free changes everything, not just in the next, not just in providing a way to the next life, uh, but it changes everything in this life. And then from last week, it was really, I guess, a two-part a lesson from Romans 4. Abraham is the father of all, Jew or Gentile, who walk in his footsteps of faith. 
Believers in Jesus are guaranteed the inheritance promised to Abraham and his descendants. And so it's really important for us to remember what Paul has just told the Romans in this section about Abraham and how he's explained to them uh, how this promise to Abraham you know, is still in play today and how it set the scene for so much of God's interaction with his people. And so the beginning of chapter 5, where we are, if you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses, harkens back to what he said in chapter 4. So we'll start, I'm going to read the first 11 verses and then we'll go back uh, and look at them a little further tonight. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Yet rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we are God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There is a lot of stuff in these 11 verses. Uh, There are a lot of important words of faith uh, that are intertwined in these 11 verses. And I wish we could spend time unpacking it all, but there are certain sections that uh, we're not going to be able to spend as much time in as I'd like. Uh, But I hope by the end of it, we'll see just how it all connects kind of with what's come before and really hopefully set Wes up for one of the key parts of Romans, which is the end of chapter 5 next week, uh, in which we talk about the the connection between Christ and Adam and how that kind of frames the rest of Romans for us. So let's go ahead and and look at verses 1 and 2. So we've got our therefore, right? We know that that uh, ultimately connects to what has come before and in fact not only connects it, uh, it gives us the knowledge that something is going to be added uh, on top of that or an action is going to be required because of uh, what we've just learned. And it says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And if there's one word that, that really is key to this section, it's the word access. And it's a word that if we're careful, we might you know, kind of gloss over because the idea of having access to God is something that is really core to the Christian faith. It's something that is so huge to us as we interact with God, as we build relationship with Him. Kind of the idea of having access is something that we might take for granted. Uh, but for the people who were, were, were hearing this read aloud or were reading it, you know, this, this idea of having access to God uh, would have really stood out to them. This idea of, you know, not having to be a special person uh, to access God in a way that uh, they used to under the old law, the priests, you know, having this special access 
or if they came from a different pagan uh, tradition. Uh, there's all kinds of different rules and rituals about how they were supposed uh, to interact with God. But here we see through this justification, uh, being justified uh, by faith, we now have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And so uh, we have this right to approach. Uh, we're no longer prohibited. And this right to approach uh, is going to shape uh, the way that we interact uh, with God. And in fact, it's supposed to give us this incredible confidence to the fact uh, that we're now boasting in God. We're boasting in the hope of the glory of God. This idea of the glory of God, you know, is is so big, it's so huge, it's kind of hard uh, to wrap our minds around. Um, the word glory is maybe not a word we use a whole lot uh, beyond a religious context. Uh, in fact, you know, I don't not really an English guy, but you very rarely see glory as a verb, and we're about to see it uh, in the next verse that we look at. Uh, but this idea of glory is, you know, bringing God this type of praise, this type of adoration that is beyond the norm, that is beyond something that we would easily bestow uh, onto someone or something else. And so boasting in the hope of the glory of God, you know, makes us think of, you know, the things to come because of the word hope. Uh, but what Paul is going to continue to show through this text that we're not only boasting because of things to come, uh, but we're boasting because of the hope that we have right now. And so hope is going to be kind of this frame word that keeps showing up over and over again. And if this were a smaller class, I would ask for you uh, to turn to your neighbor and define the word hope. Uh, what does the word hope really mean? Is it this pie-in-the-sky thing that, you know, if everything falls right, it's going to happen, or is it superstitious? Is it something that, um, you know, is just by random chance, or is hope something more? Is hope something that we can ultimately rest in uh, in a tangible uh, and kind of powerful way? So let's keep going. Let's go to verses 3 uh, through 5, and let's see uh, a little bit more what this hope is about. Hebrews 11.1 1, uh, connects faith and hope uh, in a way that you know, is a part of the definition that we kind of use for faith. And, you know, continued in this passage, uh, they're going to be intertwined uh, together some more. And so Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so, you know, if we're going to assure of something hoped for, it implies that, you know, it can be trusted, that hope uh, can be trusted in the midst of, you know, uncertainty, what we hope in uh, actually has uh, a real possibility of coming true. And so when we think about this keeper of promises theme that we've been looking at every week, you know, hope is integral to that. We have this promise that God has told us about, and it's not always easy to believe that these promises are going to be fulfilled because sometimes they take a really long amount of time to be fulfilled, but it's that hope of the promise that should drive our everyday living. So how would we define faith and hope in light of a promise perspective? And I found these two definitions this week that I think do a good job of connecting faith and hope uh, to the knowledge that we get from believing in the promises of God. Uh, faith is the extension of knowledge based on knowledge. Because I know something, for example, that God is good and reliable, I can then act on it. And I like this definition because... You know, what we're really basing our faith in is an element about something that we do know. 
And so we may not always understand God's plan. We may not always understand when things are going to happen or the timeline in which it's going to come to fruition. But because we know God is good, because we have the knowledge of that, we're able to build upon that uh, and trust with hope. And so hope is the certainty in a good future because of what God has done in the past. And so in Romans 4, uh, Paul took the people back to that story of Abraham. He reminded the Jews of a story that they would have been familiar with about how God fulfilled these promises uh, to Abraham. And if God is a God who has fulfilled his promises in the past, he's a God that we can trust to fulfill his promises in the future. And so hope is completely tied into the character of God, to the ability of God to keep his word. And that's what we're about to see in the next section. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter does a great job of kind of presenting a very similar theme that we're about to see in verses 3 through 5 of Romans. So I'll read 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 9. It says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come to you so that the, pro- so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, which may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though do you not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I love the way uh, that Peter talks about uh, this testing, this, this, the way that he frames these trials. It's a way to show our genuineness of our faith. It's a way to show just how much uh, that we trust in God being who he says he is. And this is very much connected to our understanding of the salvation of our souls. Our understanding of what's going to happen in the future is intricately connected to what's going to happen in the present. So now here we go, David. We're actually going to go uh, to Romans 5, uh, 3 through 5. It says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. We could spend the rest of the time just in this part. Uh, We could talk about that sequence uh, that he puts forth for us, the idea of suffering producing perseverance. That one I can kind of get, right? You know, that one at the surface level, you know, we've all been told a lot that trials uh, help make us stronger. Um, You know, that's a theme that, you know, goes beyond uh, you know, a religious conversation. It's one that permeates, uh, you know, all of our culture, this idea that we're stronger through tough things. And perseverance producing character, okay, you know, that's a theme that, you know, we're familiar with as well. Uh, the things we go through ultimately shape us. Uh, they help make us who we are. You know, not only is it our nature, but it's the nurture that comes from, you know, both the good things being given to us and the challenges uh, that we face. But then this connection between character and hope is an interesting one. Uh, it may not come, you know, initially as easy to understand as the other ones. Why is character connected to hope? I don't know. 
but I think uh, I have some ideas on that. Um, most of you have probably seen this quote before uh, from Martin Luther King Jr., and it's one that I've seen it on leadership posters, I've seen it on inspirational posters, um, you know, with either the word character underneath or the word leadership, uh, and it's one that's hung in classrooms probably all across uh, this country, but it's so true. Um, the, ult- the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Uh, we've probably all seen that, and that might be a picture of maybe what we think of uh, with character. Someone with character is someone who is consistent uh, no matter what's going on, whether it's easy or whether it's hard, whether someone's watching or whether someone's not watching, you know, character is, you know, it's consistency, it's integrity. Uh, it's really at the core of who we are. And so I define character as character requires a healthy sense of identity and a commitment to integrity. Uh, character flows out of who we are and then ultimately creates this set of actions or the set of thoughts or the set of the way that we talk to other people. Ultimately, everything can be boiled back to our character. Um, but what does it mean to be a person of character in terms of hope? What does it mean to be a person who has a hopeful character? And I think uh, integrity is really important uh, to understanding hope. I liked this definition of integrity. It says, Integrity means much more than adherence to a moral code. It means the state or quality of being entire, complete, and unbroken, as an integer or integral. Deeper still, integrity refers to something in its unimpaired, unadulterated, unadulterated, or genuine state corresponding with its original condition. I think this is important because what hope really is, is God seeking to restore the world to its original state. Uh, hope is very much connected to this mission of reconciliation that we see throughout the book of Romans. This hope that we have is based on the fact that we know God is going to make things the way that he desired them to be from the beginning uh, in which we can have this complete relationship with him. So we're no longer broken, uh, but we're brought whole again in this true integrity, this true character being who we were made to be. So let's keep reading. We're about to see this pretty weird antithetical that, that Paul uses, um, and it really goes to our definition of hope. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this is why our definition of character and our connection to hope is so important, because Paul pins hope and shame. He puts the two of them kind of next to each other. Hope does not put us to shame. And when I think about these two words, they're maybe not words that I would immediately associate with each other. I think the word that you know I might have associated uh, with hope as kind of the opposite originally might have been anxiety, uh, it might have been fear, uh, but I thought it was kind of interesting that he uses the word shame as something that's contrary to hope. So let's explore that uh, a little bit tonight. Think about the word shame. Uh, Shame is kind of becoming a buzzword uh, in pop psychology, and I think it's probably a good uh, move. It's something that we haven't talked about a whole lot. It's more than embarrassment. Um, It becomes this kind of inner way in which you look at yourself. 
uh, in which you see yourself as unworthy. Uh, Brene Brown, who's a really popular writer right now, has written extensively on shame. And she defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. You know, this is, this is like this deep uh, inner feeling in which we look at ourselves in a way uh, that God never intended for us to view ourselves, right? We look at ourselves uh, no longer as people made in God's image, but people who are truly unworthy. And what we're about to see um, with the Apostle Paul here in this Romans text is that, in fact, we are unworthy, and God comes to us in our unworthiness, but it's from a totally different perspective. It's because he desires to restore us. But shame adopts this viewpoint that I can't be restored. And I can't tell you how many people in our world are walking around with this heavy feeling that they're imperfect and they don't have a way to be perfect and they feel like they have to be perfect. They're hopeless. They're without hope. And it's weighing on people around us each and every day. And so Dr. Brown connected shame with this idea of false perfection, this idea that perfection can be achieved on our own. And that's something that without the message that we see in the gospel, that's what we would believe if we listen to the messages of our culture, uh, that we should seek to be perfect in all things, that we should seek to always look the best, we should seek uh, to get the best grades, that we should seek to accomplish the greatest things. These are the messages that are bombarding us today. And so here are four observations about perfectionism that she sees Uh, in our world today. Perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and I do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. This idea that, you know, if I get it right the first time, uh, no one's ever going to make fun of me or no one's ever going uh, to reduce me in some way. And it's very real. Uh, there are incredible studies about the number of pictures that people will take uh, before they post one to Instagram or Facebook or you know any of the other social media sites. This desire to get it exactly perfect uh, before we ever put ourselves out there uh, to someone else's rampant. Uh, point number two she makes, perfection is an unattainable goal. Perfectionism is more about perception than internal motivation, and there is no way to control perception, no matter how much time and energy we spend trying. You know, just think about the heavy weight that this causes. This idea that, you know, we want to make sure that everybody thinks that we're good parents, right? Uh, That's a new one to us, right? Uh, You know, this parenting stuff's harder than we thought it was, right? Um, But it wouldn't be if you scrolled down your social media feed, right? Uh, We only post the the one-month picture, right? Uh, where everything looks perfect. But we want everybody to think that it's going okay. We want everybody to think that we've got it all uh, together, and that's this kind of thing that can weigh on us. Uh, perfectionism is addictive because when we invariably do experience shame, judgment, and blame, we often believe it's because we weren't perfect enough. Rather than questioning the faulty logic of perfectionism, we become even more entrenched in our quest to look and do everything just right. It's this cycle. Instead of saying, hey, I've got to break this cycle. Hey, this can't be the way I was designed to live, uh, doing, thing, doing everything on my own. Uh, this can't be the way I was meant to be. You know, we just keep doing it. And the last, perfectionism actually sets us up to feel shame, judgment, and blame, which even leads to more shame and self-blame. It's my fault I'm feeling this way because I'm not good enough. And imagine living life that way. 
Imagine living life without knowing about this source of hope uh, that can break that feeling, uh, that can break that pattern. And so let's look at hope versus shame. Uh, Hope is God-centered. Hope is entirely based on who God is, on God's character, to where shame is completely self-centered. It's based on my ability to do things, my ability to achieve things. And so, you know, do we see this notion uh, in Scripture? Absolutely. And in fact, it happens in the garden. Uh, if you open up to Genesis chapter 2, uh, when God creates Eve for Adam, uh, the end of that section about uh, the two of them being joined together, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. It was like this beautiful relationship had been created uh, on top of all these other good things that God had called good in the garden. And the people were there, and they weren't ashamed of any of it. And then the fall happens. And immediately what happens? Genesis 3, uh, verses 6 through 10. So when woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called and said, Where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Immediately, this knowledge, this desire that came from the fall to be our own God brought with it shame right off the bat. Uh, At the very beginning, this idea of being shame-free only existed when God had created this perfect way for us to interact with Him. The minute we broke that, shame came in. And we've been seeking to, to make it go away ever since. So we see that hope is rooted in God's perfection. Shame is rooted in our own imperfection. Hope is this future-oriented thing. If you will, go to the next slide. Hope is future-oriented. Shame is always past-oriented. It's amazing how, you know, when we get in this crippling pattern of things that they just keep coming up in our minds over and over again. Uh, Hope is all about grace, and shame is all about guilt. Um, And when you see the two next to each other like that, you know, if you're like, hey, would you like some hope or would you like some shame? Uh, of course you're going to say you'd like some hope, uh, but yet it's not always that easy to tell uh, the difference because of the different messages that people are getting. And that's why we've got to share uh, this message about hope. And it's at the very beginning of Romans. So if you've got your Bibles, Romans 1, 16 and 17, uh, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of this gospel, because it is the power that God brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of this message that we have uh, because it's a message in which shame is not a part. Uh, It's a message of hope. And so, again, at the end of verse 5, it tells us that we're not going to be put to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is connected to this hope, uh, this Holy Spirit that's with us each and every day, uh, that we should be uh, consulting as our counselor, that we should be embracing as our advocate. Uh, You know, I think it's a shame blocker 
uh, when we get to know uh, the Spirit of God that lives within us, that we begin to live uh, by its guidance each and every day. If you have your Bibles open to 1 John 4, 7-13, through 13, this is about uh, the connectedness of the Spirit with the gift of love that we're about to see at the end of Romans 5. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everything who loves has been, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit. This spirit that we have is the gift that comes with being freed from this life of shame, uh, that comes with being uh, invited into this life of of hope. So let's read how Paul says it. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, but for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the ultimate uh, counter narrative to the narratives of perfectionism uh, that we see around us. You know, it's in our imperfection uh, that Christ died for us. Uh, sometimes we may get used to the word sinner, and sometimes it'll lose its bite. Uh, but someone who's a sinner is someone uh, who's in a state of disconnection from God. Uh, it goes on in the next section to say that we're his enemies. You know, at this point, you know, there is nothing that we've done on our own uh, that would cause God to want to do this. Uh, but he does it anyway in spite Uh, of our imperfection. And so, you know, what I'm afraid is sometimes one of the places that if we're not careful, shame can really manifest itself is in these walls, right? Uh, Man, if we're not careful, we can really be judgmental to people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't mean to. Um, It's hard not to be judgmental. Everything around us is telling us to be judgmental. Everything around us is training us to be judgmental. Uh, but it would be really, really sad if what's meant to be a house of hope for people is a house of shame for people. Uh, you know, a house that uh, puts forth guilt and not grace. Uh, that would be really sad. Um, and it's something that I love about this place is there's so much grace that is shown here. There's so much acceptance that is shown to people who, who, who need to come to know the love of God. And it's an incredible thing, but I hope that we'll always keep that Uh, is one of our our foremost goals as people who are on this mission of reconciliation. So let's finish the section. Since now we have justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I'm always taken aback by how often Paul uses the word boast, right? You only boast in something that you're incredibly confident in. If not, you're going to look like a fool, right? Um, you know, if you're, if you're constantly boasting in things that, that don't ultimately come through, people are going to, uh, to know you don't know what you're talking about. 
but we're able to boast in this hope of the glory of God. This hope is so trustworthy because it's tied to the character of God that we can tell everybody about it in a way that's so confident that it would seem to others like we're boasting about it. And I don't know if I've ever been accused of boasting about God. I don't know if anybody's ever said something like that to me or or if they've said something to that about somebody else. Hey, that Matt, he really boasts about God a lot. Uh, I don't know if that could ever be said or has been said, but man, I'd like it to be said, right? I'd like for my life to exude such a confidence in this other way of life that God gives us that everybody's like, man, it's a little weird how much he talks about God. Um, you know, if that really happened, then, you know, I feel like we'd be doing something uh, that we're called to do as people of reconciliation. So we'll end on our last slide, and I'll make sure uh, you get to class to pick up your kids. A summary of Romans 5, 1 through 11, where uh, Wes will pick up next week. God's desire for us to have access, God desires for us to have access to him in this life and the next. Christian living is hopeful living. Uh, that's who we're called to be uh, as people of hope. And I'll pray and we'll be dismissed tonight. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many wonderful blessings that you've given us. We thank you for this chance to come together. Uh, may we always be a church that is looking to uh, to bring people back to you. Uh, may we always be a, a beacon of hope to our community uh, and a place where others can feel forgiveness and grace. In your name we pray. Amen.